Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird, and we're live in the studio at Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. Around Miami and South Florida lately, we've been talking a lot about sea level rise and king tides. But right now, the city's preparing for a tide of contemporary art to flood the region, basically. There will be contemporary art, artists, curators, collectors, and art lovers coming from all over the world to experience our presentation of contemporary art through fairs and exhibitions, events and performances and talks. There's so much going on that we're all overwhelmed and excited just thinking about it. And they're all headed this way for what's known as I'm calling the 2017 edition of Art Basel Miami Beach and Miami Art Week. The tents are up. The installations have started in Miami and on the beach. There are banners on the streets that show the main international art fair and more than 20 satellite fairs that are coming up. The history of this whole excitement is Art Basel. They came from Switzerland. They chose a U.S site, the oldest art fair in the world, chose their U.S. site to be Miami, and it's been transformative for our city. And today, we want to talk about how Miami continues to expand on and elevate the international conversation about contemporary art that Art Basel sparked in 2002. So on this show, you'll meet artists and curators who are making Miami a year-round destination for art, and we're going to introduce exhibitions you can visit in renovated and new art spaces, spaces that are about to disappear, work by emerging artists in a historic building downtown, an art fair with no art for sale that will take place in a luxury shopping center. I mean, we're doing some interesting things with this art week. We're going to start with an exhibition that just opened at Paris Art Museum. That's with the artist Dara Friedman. The title of the show is Perfect Stranger. Dara just happens to live and work in Miami and Bad Kreuznach, Germany. She uses the traditions of experimental film to create some amazing works that have been described as generating empathy in those who view them. She is presenting a mid-career survey at the Paris Art Museum through early March 2018 And the exhibition features 17 major works. Three of them are 16-millimeter film installations. There's a total of seven 16-millimeter film projectors in the show. The rest are video and HD video installations. And the setting for the films that have been shot are Miami, New York, Germany, and elsewhere in the world. We're going to share right now the dialogue I recorded with Dara and Renee Morales, the curator at the Paris. And intertwined with our conversation, you're going to hear the sonic experience that I had of walking through the multi-chambered installation that lies behind thick velvet curtains. It's through these curtains that you enter the theater of Dara Friedman's mind.
it was an extremely interesting and challenging project because Dara primarily works in film and video, and this is a a mid-career survey and how do you make those two things happen? You know, usually, how do you do a survey of an artist who works in a time-based medium and who makes works that, in some cases, can live with each other in the same space, but in many cases cannot? Each work needs its own dedicated space, uh, and that raises all sorts of technical, logistical challenges, having to do a sound leak, light leak, and just the general experience for the viewer. I'm always interested in experimenting with exhibition formats, and this one is just inherently an experimental format for an exhibition, so I love that aspect of this project. Dara, I don't know if you want to go into a little bit more of the ideas and the philosophy behind how we went into this. You know, there's the issue of what can live together really, like what's going to shout over another thing and how can these things sit next to each other. And also, this museum is so beautiful architecturally that I wanted to not be in denial of where we were. I don't know, so many factors. But the sound was the biggest challenge, and then the idea came of the the acoustic curtains. But it was all very risky, because <laughs> I've normally only shown one work at a time and let it rip. So that was moving forward in a really delicate way. It was definitely uncharted territory. <laughs> In the summer, I thought, okay, we have this one huge room with seven works in it. I think they can live together, can they? And I was like, okay, I'm just going to turn everything on and test it. And I was like, this, this works. I was so relieved and so happy. It really does work. We're talking about the first room with the mixture of silent film and these different installations. Right. I love that how you referred to the experience as a theater of the mind. The curtains certainly make that work, but also that in the first space is the one that has this whole constellation within it. There's sort of what they're about, and then they're how the viewer experiences them. So it's sort of knowing what it's about on paper and knowing how the body receives that work, dealing with those two bits of information at the same time. There's no words. It's all body memory, gesture, the sensorial. There's sound, but it's the visceral. I like how that works in that combination of stillness and action and the performative quality of the works in that space. Well, for the longest time, basically, the first maybe, I don't know, how many years of my life, I didn't really have anything to say in terms of words. I knew what I meant, and I knew what I was feeling. I never had words for it. It's only recently this experience of coming into words. It's a new thing, to have something to say with your mouth. I love the combination and the singing one, the dancing one, how there's some lyrics to the one that's musical, yet it's very physical. (laughs) 
it's very public too. I want to talk about that, the role of the public experience of your work. Well, first of all, in a musical, those aren't my words in the performer's mouth. They're their words. So I asked them what they wanted to sing and what they wanted to say. I just offer the opportunity and the platform for it. Renee is sort of hosting the platform and the opportunity to say different things. This moment when you invite somebody to step up and open up is half of it, (laughs) more than half of it. I think it's really important to come and see and physically hear work in a museum because we do it together. It's not something that you do by yourself behind your computer screen anonymously. The, something, something else happens when you collectively engage in seeing and feeling. That's why I like to leave a glow in the room. I don't want the rooms to be pitch dark. I want to know who you're there with. I want there somehow to be this sort of intermingling of atoms with the work, with the other people that are there. I think that's important. It's hugely important. I really like that about how you've, in each room, provided experience of a different scale. Like the tiger tail piece. That was such a gorgeous little vignette, just this little mythical story for me, a poem, so lyric to watch. And then outside the curtain of that was the, the two lovers taking each other's words. Is my image of Are you me going to improve with age? anything like uh, your image of me? reinterpreting a conversation over and over again, which I found pretty fascinating and very telling about relationships in general. Most of these works have a predetermined way of being shown. Uh, Like Tiger Tail that you mentioned, you tend to show it about that scale. There are a few pieces that are very flexible, like Government Cut Freestyle, you've mentioned can be at a very huge scale, can be small. All these decisions are totally thought through on Dara's part. It's not an incidental, it's an integral part of the work, how it's shown in physical space. Uh, And it's not just about scale, it's about the exact nature of the equipment, every type of decision. Now, on top of that, I'll add that for Dara, from the beginning, it was very important that each work is shown in a way that's very distinct from the other. As you go through the show... That was very thought through as well, this idea of creating texture. You afford the possibility of the viewer coming into each space and coming to each piece and feeling a different sensation, a different experience, and thinking about the ways in which each piece is different, not just visually and experientially, but also conceptually. To articulate the differences. But it was really Renee who encouraged to show Tiger Tail. It was a smaller work. It kind of came at a funny time. And I was so happy that we did. I got When I first showed it back in the day, I got a damning review, which I didn't think too much of. But I was like, okay, maybe it's misunderstood. It's this really sort of a home movie of sorts. But then, yeah, each work you experience differently. So Renee's just installing the poetry show now. It's so intimate, and you need to experience it intimately, as you would if you had a small book of poetry in your hand, and you cracked it open, and you read one poem, and you felt good about it, and you closed it and put it back on the shelf. That small private moment 
that then belongs to you was what I was trying to achieve, showing it small like that. It works. That's beautiful. I w would love to talk a little bit about Maya Duran mm -hmm. and her influence. She's the, the godmother. She's the ancestor. When I first thought about making films, you don't think that you can. You think you know about big movie production and you need a hundred people and a million bucks and Lord, it's a big machine, it's a big industry, it's akin to sort of being part of the army. But then as I discovered these small films, I realized that that just wasn't true. You could be a one-man band, you could have a camera, think about something that you cared about and not ask anyone for permission to go ahead and do it. And, and here she was, she had this beautiful curly hair and she's this Russian emigre. She'd been the secretary of Catherine Dunham. She wore sandals and had dancer friends and it was like, wow, can relate to that. Maya Darren is so matter of fact about the surreal. So it's work that crosses time in a place. It just allows many things, like the rules are playful and there are rules, but they are played. I was going to ask you what you would like other people to take away, but what are you taking away from seeing your two decades of work reflected in the space? It's a question of confidence. We're, I think we're constantly in the process of becoming it's a cumulative effort. You've put one foot in front of the other. You've come to crossroads and made decisions, committed to them, and it's sort of a point where you have confidence in the series of decisions that you've made. I mean, making the artworks is a string of decisions that you have to make, and I just think that you sort of see the work laid out and feel like, okay, Lots of decisions. All right, now many more to make. How about you as the curator? I'm not objective, but I think the show is really beautiful. And I had proof the very first night before we actually even opened to the public. This was like a pre-preview for a group of people who are, were not necessarily avid followers of contemporary art. I was walking through the show with them, and I looked over, and they were just completely enraptured. They were just completely hypnotized. We were on a tight schedule that evening. We needed to get those people through the show and go on with the next phase of the night, and I just kind of refused. I put the brakes on everything that night just so that they could enjoy the work on their own time and on their own terms. That actually is, like, the most pleasurable experience for a curator when you can feel very confident that the public is going through the exhibition and just relating to the work at a deep level and in a very natural way, in a very intuitive way. Good morning. This is the Fresh Art International Show on Jolt Radio.
in Miami. I am Kathy Bird. We have today a preview of the 2017 edition of Miami Art Week. You just heard my conversation with Dara Friedman and Renee Morales at the Paris Art Museum. And now we're taking you to the beach. A few blocks from the Art Basel Miami Beach Fair and Design Miami sits the Bass Museum. And the Bass has just opened. And an installation is now in process to represent the art of Mika Rottenberg, an artist who has a very visceral approach to the moving image akin to Dara's, but exploding in so many different directions, so many different media. So, Leilani, welcome. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. And now that Leilani has spoken, I guess I should let you know that there's four beautiful women in the studio <laughs> with me today. <laughs> and I would say who they are, Lauren Shapiro is here an artist. Hi. She's here representing a really exciting pop-up experience called Raw. We have Zoe Lukov. Hi, how are you? Director of Exhibitions at Faena. And she's doing an independent project called FAIR. And with her is an artist participating in FAIR, Natalie Alfonso. Good morning. Okay, so we will get to those conversations, but I wanted you to know I'm surrounded with great energy today. And... <laughs> Uh, great beauty and great intelligence. So now I'm going to tell you about Leilani. She is currently the assistant curator at the Bass, and she was formerly the exhibitions manager at Locus Projects here in Miami. She's from San Francisco, studied art history at the University of yep. California at Berkeley. Yep. <laughs> so Mika Rottenberg, how did you get to know her as an artist? How did you think of her as a good match for the Bass? Well, I think I first saw Mika's work. Um, she had a show in about 2010 at SF MoMA, which featured one of her video works called Squeeze. Um, and I was really taken by just, like you said, visceral is like a really apt description for the videos that she makes. These tight spaces that look sort of DIY mishmash together and people, characters of unconventional body sizes, strengths, heights, all kind of crammed into these spaces and taking part in these discombobulated production processes. And so that caught my eye. And then as we've been following her work, she did a project at the Venice Biennale in 2015 called No Nose Nose. Um, and that was another video work that we actually have at the Bass that sort of sparked that interest for bringing it to the museum. The installation is just wild the objects that she works with and that she chooses to reveal and the, that lead you into the experience of the films. Uh, I think her work is as much about the architectural, sculptural introductions to the videos as they are about the videos themselves. It's a very physical presentation of the moving image. Now, she was born in Argentina, Mika Rottenberg. She lives and works in New York City. And we also both experienced her work this summer at Sculpture Project Munster, Yes, where one of those pieces is also in the house. Yeah, very excited to have the U.S. premiere of that work called Cosmic Generator. I think it's a very poignant work to be bringing to the U.S. at this point in time, and very special that we were able to present it for the first time. 
Well, let's talk about Cosmic Generator because that's one of the sounds we'll be sharing in a minute. So Cosmic Generator follows a few different storylines, non-linear, that connect different geographical places, mainly the border towns of Mexicali and Calexico that border the U.S. and Mexico, as well as a plastic commodities market in China. And these fictional tunnels that connect each of these places that sort of collapse distance and um, gesture at migration and commuting and the movement of bodies and objects through space. The soundtrack itself is just super captivating. I love that about this. And if you're listening and you're not used to listening to conversations about art that you can't see, that's one of my greatest pleasures and challenges is bringing that to the mind uh, to see. You know, another good thing about Mika's work is that she kind of gives you that primer to the video. So you can describe it because you do enter a space to enter a cosmic generator. You enter this product room that's sort of sparsely populated with inflatables and garlands that looks sort of like a not well-stocked store. And that sort of echoes the imagery that you'll see in the film. And another element that she is introduced into your museum and strategic places is the ponytail. Yes. Uh, what is her fascination <laughs> with the ponytail? These are animated ponytails. Yes. So we have two ponytail works, which are sort of this disembodied, you see the back of a, a ponytail, it's very feminine, but there's a quite mechanical sound that butts up against this organic looking thing. Um, and Mika has a special interest in hair. It's shown up in some of her previous work. I think she's interested in femininity and and the woman's role really in processes of making commodities and marketing our bodies and things that are for sale. And so this ponytail is just sort of a a gesture, a symbol of that. Well, it's it's fun. And the last one that I experienced was lips. (laughs) Now that one is super quirky and very um, bodily. Let's describe it. You see these lips and there's a, a portal. That's a pair of silicon lips, and so you kind of feel even more like a voyeur as you go get closer to these, you know, to scale human-sized lips. And you look through this tiny hole, and you see this kaleidoscopic video, which has more ponytails, lips spewing liquid, and butts, and (laughs) other body parts. (laughs) It's this cavern of the eternal internal body or something. Exactly. It's just so wild to watch. It's also a kind of a wild listen. So right now you're going to hear three of the sound experiences within Mika Rottenberg's installations, Cosmic Generator, Ponytail, and Lips.
Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. And on today's show, we are talking about Miami Art Week 2017. This art event dates from 2002. We were talking earlier, so that means 15 years it's brought this energy to Miami, and we brought energy back. So this is my second year to cover the Art Week through radio, and I'm really excited about the chance to share another conversation with you. Thank you for what you brought to the table here, literally, about Mika Rottenbergsworth. Happy to share. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. Our next stop is downtown. We're moving. I tell you, it's a citywide event, and we're all over with this. And with us in the studio is Lauren Shapiro. You heard her voice earlier. She's participating in the latest invention of an organization that goes by the name of Young Artists Initiative, YAI. YAI, that's correct. And uh, the Instagram handle for those guys is exactly that, Young Artist Initiative. Right. And that will come up in our conversation. You'll know why we gave you that uh, information right now. But this is the group's first engagement with Miami Art Week. And what they bring to the conversation is RAW. RAW is a site-specific installation of 40 or more artists that are going to be inhabiting this space downtown at the historic post office that's located on Northeast 1st and Flagler. So most people don't know where that is, and I had no idea where it was until I walked up there. I actually teach over at New World, so I snuck up there one day to look at it, and I was by myself in the space, and it's this vast, amazing industrial space that artists are going to be taking over with site-specific, ephemeral, performative, and interactive installations. Right, and interestingly, this is, as we said, downtown. It's a historic building. Its emptiness is being filled with creative energy, light, sound, and performances. So the thing is about RAW is it's going to be the nighttime destination, it looks like, for people that are on the mainland anyway. Exactly. Because... All their programming takes place beginning 8 o'clock in the evening and goes to like 3 a.m. That's correct. So if you've worked all day at the art fair (laughs) or been out and want to break and do something relaxing and watch other people work. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Or play, because it sounds super fun. The description of what they're doing every night is a different ambiance, a different sensorial experience. Lauren teaches at the New World School of the Arts. She's an artist and educator from South Florida that has an MFA in ceramics. Her starting point is origami. That's correct. My process begins with origami, and I'm a mold maker, so that's what I pursued for several years to perfect that craft. And I basically transform ephemeral paper geometric forms into porcelain. And then I build modularly with these forms. It's a very controlled, meticulous process, uh, which makes this installation so different. It's it's rooted in that, but it's a departure from that control and that this is a completely unfired clay sculpture that I'm going to be constructing on site for the raw exhibition. And you've called it Garden House? Garden House, yes. It's taken from Roman Greco architecture and that it's going to eventually crumble and disintegrate over the period of the exhibition over four days. So it starts out as a dark gray color, and then as time goes by, it's going to slowly turn white and crackle and crumble. And it's essentially ominously referencing the collapse of a great empire. 
the site of the historic post office was built in 1912. And it was the site where at that time there was only about 5,000 people living in Miami in the 1900s. And the post office had to shut down because it couldn't sustain the amount of influx of these people coming into Miami. And so the work is actually referencing that collapse. You described what will happen for yours. Do you know any of the other projects that are coming into view around you? Right. As I've been following their Instagram, they've been slowly revealing the artists. Every single day they drop another artist or another uh, musician that's going to be performing there. Um, As far as I know, there's performative pieces. There are everything there is interactive. So the idea and the curatorial thesis behind Raw is that it engages you with the senses. So art that you can touch, art that you can smell, art that you can hear, art that you can participate in. And um, the Young Artist Initiative is very integrated with that concept in that they want to bring art to the people. They're showing these large-scale installations of multiple artists. It's almost over-the-top crammed sensory experience of all these people participating in these culturally rich spaces. For this exhibition, there is a curator, Tam Grin, who's a great gal. I met her at the Bakehouse when she curated a show for Venezuela, I believe it was last month. And uh, she's brought in artists from Israel, artists from New York, artists from L.A., uh, from Europe. So it's not just uh, locally based artists. It's a lot of her contacts as well. So it should be a very dynamic sampling of, of international artists. That's the great opportunity here is for Miami artists to be in company of international stars and other emerging artists. And I think that's what, when I first started coming to Art Basel at the beginning, I've been coming before I moved here and seeing the way things popped up, the pop-ups were out of the back of a truck or somebody running through the street with a sign or a performance just rolling down the street somehow. But now the interventions are so much more sophisticated and they're connecting with community. And I think right. that's one thing that the Young Artist Initiative seems to be really good at. They're really engaging with new followers of contemporary right. art by engaging so heavily on Instagram, by revealing it, each artist and different components, things to be expected as a gradual puzzle piecing together in virtual space. It's it's pretty cool. I found myself really cruising through those reveals that they've done so far and very curious to see what's coming next. Right. A lot of people are like, what exactly is it? It's a little mysterious, but the founders are rooted in architecture. They're rooted in design. So if you look at the invitations and the way that they put these things together, it's very sleek. It's very modern. Um, it looks beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's what's so interesting. I participated last year in the Design in Its Dimensions uh, exhibition that they held at the Moore Building. And the way that they invite the artists and the materials that they give us are so modular because you can tell that people have architect backgrounds to the T measurements of your exact module of where you'll be, uh, which is, for me, resonates so deeply because I'm completely OCT with my work. And (laughs) if you look at my studio, it's like boxes that are labeled within boxes that are labeled, and I'm totally crazy about it. Um, But just it's all about that chaos and control kind of component, which I think everyone can relate to. That is a great place to segue to a fair that pushes back against the art market model that we're here for. The curatorial question here is, what does it mean to be an art fair that features only female artists, where admission is free and nothing is for sale, staged in a luxury shopping center? (laughs) 
That is the question. In downtown <laughs> Miami. That is the big question. That's what we're that's what we're trying to investigate. Yes. Um, so this is Zoe Lukoff. Hi. I'm um curator. I'm one of the curators of Fair along with Anthony Spinello. Fair is actually supported by Swire Properties and takes place at Brickell City Center. Um, we open on Thursday, December 7th. It's open through Sunday from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. And it is what you said. It's it's a proposition, a new one. So FAIR is an alternative, non-commercial, all-women's art fair, in quotes, in air quotes. Um, nothing is for sale. We're really appropriating the FAIR model and inverting it and, and basically taking this opportunity to comment on the way that art is consumed. And more often than not, art is being consumed in a FAIR model, bought and sold, and not necessarily experienced. So a shopping center, of course, offers a perfect opportunity to investigate that. But on another level, the shopping center, in my opinion, in these days, is, is taking the place of a plaza or a public gathering space. And in a lot of ways, we're bringing art to everyone on a really basic level. I mean, you don't need to know anything about contemporary art or have any knowledge of contemporary art to experience it there in that place. Just to give you an example, we're also partnering with CMX Cinemas, which is an incredible luxury high-end cinema. But as a result, they have a, a gathering lounge and bar right in the entryway with a jumbotron LED screen that is three stories tall, basically, that we're taking over with radical feminist video art. So you go see Thor and you end up seeing um, you end up seeing really amazing, fascinating videos by women artists from around the world. I should also mention that the show is multi-generational. It's a mixture between emerging artists and well-established artists, mid-career artists. There's a number of Miami-based artists as well, but it's also entirely international. So we're trying very hard to create a platform for very diverse, different voices from around the world, from women or women-identified artists, to speak. And sometimes those things that they say, you know, sometimes there's disagreements, but it's interesting. Yes, I want to point out now, because uh, you're co-curator, Anthony Spinello, is quite the feminist curator. Yes, he <laughs> He's is. He's well known for working with women artists. And I do want to shout out to him because two years ago, he brought Auto Body to the Art Week. And I was completely addicted to that project. Yes. It was curated by women. It was women artists. And it was amazing. I rode my bike over there like almost every day to record with a different artist. So just to say, some of those artists are reappearing in FAIR, and we have podcast episodes with them. And I just want to point that out if you want to learn more about Cheryl Pope, Jillian Mayer, Nicole Hebron. You will find podcast episodes representing the works that you're going to be seeing over mm. at this exhibition FAIR. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and... Nicole Hebron in particular, I know, will bring to the table these posters, the gallery tally about women's representation in the art world. And she'll also be bringing, she is the curator of the film series. Yes. So the film sector is called Fair Play. And Nicole Hebron has curated an amazing selection. She's done sort of a selection from the FEMS Video Festival, which is a, a video festival that she's worked on for a number of years. Um, but she's also looked at videos from the auto body selection, videos that were submitted. She's she's looking at at women in video very broadly. Excellent. There's almost I think if I think there's 80 women in the video sector alone. Wow. Well, let's hear from Natalie Alonso. Hi. <laughs> this artist is taking on some labor 
up yes. till 2 a.m. getting ready for it. <laughs> so basically what I'm doing at FAIR, besides presenting my personal work, is also I've been part of the production team, okay. which creates a really good conversation or is a good step for me in, in where I am as an artist. I've been working as a producer for producer management in in Espinelo projects for the last two years. Anthony is familiar with my work, and my work is basically the investigation of that invisible labor, of what happens behind scenes. I am drawing a 13-wide line that is 220 feet long in the facade of what is going to be fair market. And that line I made with charcoal and is made with the repetitive movements of scrubbing on the wall. This comes from my background as housekeeper, cleaning kind of a thing. So during fair, what I'm going to be doing is after that perfect line is being drawn, I'm going to be raising that line away with water and rags that in a way symbolize this idea of detaching myself from all the hard labor and giving value to just the physicality of the body and being present in the space without being attached to the final result, without being attached to an object. I am very grateful that I'm invited and participating in this fair because in my work, I'm in a stage where I don't really believe in an object for sale. So it's really hard for me to find a stage to present that work. It's something very ephemeral. Usually after I finish the work, it's destroyed completely and what it's left behind is only the documentation of the work. So I feel like this is a very nice platform for me. I've been scrubbing that line for the last three days and it's interesting because when I start doing it, it's almost after mall hours, which is when people actually work cleaning the mall or making sure the mall is nice. So I'm starting to experience how it feels, that giant space of luxury. It's so wide and so clean. And then I experienced the music behind and I just felt that that music just make you feel that you are actually full, like you're surrounded by a, a crowd of people when in reality you're just alone. So I, in a way I'm kind of been experiencing how it feels the more when it's in silence, but not really. It's been really a really good experience for me. That's a very cool project. I'm looking forward to seeing you. I feel kind of bad for you to be scrubbing for so many hours, though. <laughs> no, actually, this process is actually what's helped me understand that these things are important and that the value that I give to this is not only the value that I give myself as a woman, but also I give others that get the opportunity to talk to me or that experience that process with me. I am very connected with my production team, all of them very like I like to not make it just like they're they're there just working. I like it to make an experience like we're having a learning experience every day. So through my work and through that repetitive notion of being alone in labor, I've learned to do these kind of things. And that's why I don't suffer. Actually, I enjoy it a lot. It's <laughs> <laughs> really good to hear. I feel better. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I feel really good about what we've been able to introduce so far. And we began at the Paris Art Museum in Miami, and now we're going to an Institute of Contemporary Art that hasn't even opened yet. And I'm thrilled to be able to share with you a behind-the-scenes visit I made at the ICA Miami that is an institution dedicated to promoting experimentation in contemporary art and the exchange of art and ideas through Miami 
the region and the world. And they were launched in 2014 and took up residence in the Moore Building in the Design District. And now, this Friday, they're opening to the world. They will have public access year-round with free admission. And as I said a few weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going through behind the scenes as they were unpacking crates still and installing work with curators Alex Gartenfeld and Stephanie Seidel. I would love to just segue right into this tour where you'll hear the sounds of industry that are bringing this together for us in a couple of days. So the Institute of Contemporary Art on Miami opens its new building on December 1st, and we are walking toward it on a 42nd Street. It's towards the Sculpture Garden, which is beautifully sited between the Miami Design District and the Buena Vista neighborhood. And you'll see these kinds of two faces of the museum carry on through the architecture, which has two very beautiful facades, one covered in stainless steel and aluminum cladding, and the other a glass window front that opens towards the community. And we really see this as part of our central mission focus to engage the public in diverse ways through free admission and open access to the public and through daily programming through education and public programs. So this is some good sound effects. Definitely. You see 41st Street is transforming. And the museum and its new construction is part of a, an ambitious phase of development for the design district. So you walk in and you have a very kind of dramatic lobby and you see immediately into our sculpture garden, which we see as a program site. Being as this is the second week of November, uh, we have two of the five um, sculptures fully installed. The rest are coming in the next two weeks, so it's an exciting time. So should we walk and talk? Let's do it. I think it's the best way to do it. You'll see that the museum is designed by Rongren and Gallegos. And this is their first project in the United States. They've built widely in their native Spain as well as across Europe and are real innovators in the realm of community building through architecture. And that was part of their selection for this project. They've designed a museum which has three open floor plans. Now our ground floor will be divided into more intimately scaled projects where we feature highlights of our collection, long-term exhibitions, as well as a project space for early museum exposure for emerging artists. I am excited to be here today to do a walkthrough of the new space and see some of the projects. Stephanie, you're going to give us the first point of departure on what we'll see first as we enter the space. Sure. So right when you enter through our foyer, the first gallery you walk in is a presentation by Edward and Nancy Keenholz. I say Miami has a fantastic large-scale tableau in their permanent collection, which is called the Soup Course at Shishi Cafe. So we see like three tables here and it's sort of bourgeois cafe setting with a couple eating together on one table and a young woman eating at a smaller table alone. Weirdly, we see also that the woman's head is covered in a white napkin and looking longer on it, we discover a bunch of other details that are quite confusing and actually the Keenholz has worked a lot on topics of gender and power inequality and also violence and race issues. So 
This work from 82 is a special one that dedicates to the role of women in society and we were very lucky to get additional loans to go with this presentation from Nancy Redden Keenholz and also from a major collection in Los Angeles. Wow, super timely installation here. Recent developments in Absolutely. the art world and beyond. It's pretty exciting. The next space I want to walk you into our project space, and it's dedicated to early museum exposure and affirming what we think is the important role of museums in introducing new voices and supporting them in important parts of their career on an international stage. And the first program we have in this space is by a Miami-based artist named Tom Elsaye, who's an incredible abstract painter who is, in our estimation, inventing and interpreting abstraction in new ways. Those ways are certainly rich and diverse, as you see in terms of the formal innovation, smudges, erasures, all over compositions that function like maps or rubrics. Tom's work is also deeply informed by his experience with work from a Haitian and spiritual tradition. That sense of regional context, as well as the important function of art in Haitian society, is deeply influential to this artist, and also an important part of the dialogue here in Miami. This is an artist who is at a crucial stage of his career where his practice is truly developing, and we see that in his address of new scales of painting. Let's walk up now to the third. I want to show you the special exhibition gallery. So third floor is where our exhibition begins. Our first show is called The Everywhere Studio, and it is a show that involves approximately 50 artists and over 100 works of art, spanning from 1959 all the way to commissions for emerging artists. Organized roughly chronologically, you'll see canonical works interpreted through the lens of the studio. And we were deeply influenced and inspired by the idea that artist studios are crucibles for innovation and can teach us about the way that we work everywhere. And as our society has shifted from, say, an industrial society, one of craft, to one that values data, performance, myth, aura, fiction, that had a dramatic impact on the role of artists in society and what they can teach us. So the exhibition begins with work by Philip Guston. We're about to install the second Guston today, actually, so it's an exciting day to be here. This got installed today. It's an Andy Warhol dance diagram. Two works by Eve Klein, uh, Anthropometries. This is a work by Roy Lichtenstein from 1972 from the Artist Studio series. Lichtenstein renders the artist himself, this figure, as a cartoon. And we think that that says profound things about the nature of artists in society, that they're not just a isolated romantic figure in their studio, but they're also somehow a commercial producer and their work has a mainstream popular audience. What's in this crate, Alex? This is um, an amazing work. One of the many things we try to do with this exhibition was incorporate work by artists who are considered traditionally post-studio or who have somehow disavowed the studio and reconnect how their work still has this material engagement with the studio tradition. And so this is a 1964 work by Christo, who of course is very well known for wrapping environments including parts of Miami and his engagements in the public and environmental sphere. This is an early work in which the artist was taking tools and in fact a dolly from his studio, wrapping them up and making some of his earliest experiments with red, orange colored fabrics. It's an amazing work of art. Awesome. And we're very proud to be showing it. I think also it's a surprising entry into this exhibition. Yes, it is. I'm a big 
Christophan. All I can say is you must be incredibly excited oh, as yes. each piece comes out of the crate and you see its relationship with the others. It's got to be. Every time we open a crate, we get a shiver down our spine. It's a revelation, and I hope that this exhibition communicates that experience to each visitor who comes to us in December. And how long will these first exhibitions be on view? Until the end of February. I think it would be interesting to talk about the new commissions. So all the commissions, the four commissions this uh, exhibition has, are all located on the second floor. So we already have one of the commissions in place, which is from Margaret Honda, a Los Angeles-based artist, who actually made a work that consists of materials that are usually used also for exhibition architecture, which is studs and drywalling and white paint. And what she did was she took the floor plan of each studio she ever inhabited, which were 15, two of them actually in Miami, and collated these into one very dense object in a one to two scale. So you will see sort of a model of all her studios superimposed. And Margaret Honda's is also, in a way, a dematerialized retrospective of her work in this post-minimal object. Um, regarding our commissions, apart from Margaret Honda, we have a commission by French artist Neil Belufa, who made a new work uh, also in reference of the studio. It's sculptures, and he has been working in a series of works with rebar, which is kind of drawing, a sculptural drawing, and that also incorporates the economy of his own studio that he runs. And there's a commission by Yuri Patterson, kind of refers to the more dematerialized digital work practices as we find them in temporary workspaces. And he's building the structure. And then we have Matthew Angela Harrison, who's making sculptures with 3D printers. He's from Detroit, and he works in ceramics and 3D printing. And what will Charles Gaines be doing? Charles Gaines is installing work in our stairwell, which is also a surprise. Ah. Um, but we have a beautiful uh, high, tall stairwell, and there's, he's going to install mm. work there. I like the relationship between the show on the third floor and then the studio space illusions on the second floor. I think that makes a lot of sense. What are your aspirations as a curator here? Yeah, I mean, as a curator, it's extremely exciting to be part of this process and working in this incredible team and just opening this fantastic new building for this growing institution. I think it's a very unique and special experience. We have a lot to look forward to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good morning. This is Fresh Art International. I can't wait for the full reveal of the ICA this week. I want to thank my guests here today. It's been an amazing show, giving you just a glimpse into some of the creative energies that are behind what Miami brings to Art Basel, Miami Beach, and Miami Art Week 2017. And I asked my visitors here, we have Natalie Alfonso, and we have Zoe Lukov. You have something else you want to share? Um, well, yes, I was thinking, actually, since we're on the radio, I had to mention that we're also presenting Fair Air, which is actually, we're partnering with Fordistas, this amazing podcast here in Miami that supports local Miami artists, and with RadioEE.net, which is a project, a mobile bilingual radio station, and they're actually presenting with Club Silent, a kind of silent disco 
in a glass container in the middle of the shopping center and we're staging a whole sort of radio experience freeing the airwaves so I want you to come and it would be amazing to have you do some kind of intervention there on fair air would be amazing I would love to count me in okay perfect done (laughs) done and done good and Lauren has this labor intensive Lauren Shapiro has a labor intensive project that she's gathering together her energy and a team hopefully for her project at Raw. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Right. So all my lovely listeners, if you want to come get your hands dirty in clay and help me press some molds and attach them to the structure on site, I would love your help. You can find me on Instagram, Loshap, L-O-S-H-A-P, and all of my poor friends that have gotten roped into this project as well. I think she had a mold making party the other night just I've to been get having... some of her pieces made right hosting mold making parties in my studio feeding my friends and inviting them to compress uh, clay leaves into molds and collect so on friday and saturday of this week december 1st and 2nd i will need more hands so come join me it would be great sounds like fun leilani tell us about the bass what what should we know that we don't know yet about Mika Rottenberg's exhibition, there's a preview on December 6th, Wednesday, from 8 to 11, and we open to the public on Thursday, December 7th. So please come on by. Okay, so as you can hear from this show, these are some top picks for me for Art Week 2017. On our website, we've also got a What to See, Miami Art Week, a short list and links to all kinds of opportunities during the week. And I encourage you to go to freshartinternational.com to see that and do your research before the week comes upon us. Again, thank you to my guests today. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. We're live streaming on Jolt Radio in Miami, Florida. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know at Fresh Art INTL and at Jolt Radio. We are thrilled to offer more than 100 listening experiences anywhere you go for podcasts. And I want to thank you for listening. Meet us here every Wednesday morning for Contemporary Art Talk.